Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Matthew chapter 4. We are continuing through a, a walk through the Gospels. And um, I've got some good things to get to you tonight before we close up the service. I, I'm sure that maybe some of you and your children are wanting to go and collect from your neighbors and loved ones, so uh, I want to give plenty of time for that. But I found some interesting things in the scriptures today um, as I was finishing up studying on this, and I'm excited to share them with you. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention this event where Jesus is about to be tempted by the devil. Um, Matthew and Luke go into greater detail. Mark just kind of lets you know that it happened. And you can find this in Mark chapter 1, and you can find it in Luke chapter 4, as well as Matthew chapter 4. But we're going we're gonna to focus on Matthew chapter 4 for time's sake. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to be into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry, no doubt. I'm hungry after 40 minutes. 40 days. It's a whole different experience. But I want you to notice something that it says. It says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit. The Gospel of Mark says that that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, why is the Spirit of God leading Jesus into temptation? Didn't Jesus teach us to pray? Lead us not into temptation? Well, here's why Jesus had to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Because the enemy, the devil himself, had nothing on Jesus. There was no way that he could lure him or entice him. So the Spirit had to lead him out there because there was nothing the devil had that Jesus wanted. We have a different experience because we are born with the nature of Adam. And that sin is what the Scripture calls the sin nature. And and we find the appetites for that nature in our flesh, don't we? Didn't the Apostle Paul teach us that? He said, "I, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. My inner man is saying, I want to do right. I want to please God. I want to bless God. But I find something else happening in my body in these members, and I can't seem to perform what I will on the inside to, I can't seem to perform it here in the flesh because my flesh seems to fight me on all of that stuff. Come on, how many of you have been a Christian for five minutes? You understand the war. You understand the struggle. You understand that the spirit is against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, and these two are contrary to one another. You're a justified spirit living in an unglorified body. So welcome to the war. For the rest of our days here on the earth as believers, there will always be that combat. There will always be that conflict. But you can win. You can win every time. And Paul teaches us that we can win this way. With the mind, I serve the spirit. Or with the mind, I serve the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is it's all about what you choose. You have the power to choose to live by the spirit or you have the power to choose to live by the flesh. And that's why... We need to live a life of repentance, which means changing our minds. That's what the word repent means, to change your mind. Every day we need to be renewing our minds. 
And how are we going to renew our minds? We're, we're going to keep looking at the truth of the Word of God and see what the truth is so that we can choose truth. Because the Word is truth and it is life. So we want to choose life. So we need to know what life looks like. We need to know what wisdom looks like. What the way of peace is. How the Lord would have us to live our lives. And it is to walk by faith. And we, we can't really know to choose that until we first hear that truth and then that truth that we know causes us to be free to do it. So there's nothing, because Jesus didn't have Adam's nature, remember? He was born of a woman, but Jesus was born with his father's nature, his father God. So he, he wasn't born like us in, in the way of sinful nature. The scripture says that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he condemned sin in the flesh. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet he didn't sin. This is beautiful. Now, some people say, well, that's kind of, oh, well, yeah, of course. I mean, of course Jesus uh, didn't sin because he didn't have sin nature. Of course Jesus saved us. I mean, he, I mean, well, who do you want to save you? If you're drowning, do you want somebody that can swim just as good as you? Huh? No, you need somebody that can swim better than you. You need somebody that has the power to save, the power to rescue. All right? And Jesus has that power. And so that's why it says the Spirit led him out there because he didn't have a sin nature that was pulling on him toward sinful deeds. So the Spirit leads him out there. Now look at this. This is really interesting. It says he leads him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now I want to go over to Deuteronomy chapter 8 for a moment, and we're going to see an interesting parallel. I've never seen this before. I don't know how many times I've read these chapters, but I've never seen this parallel before. Gen uh, what did I say? Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse 2. Now here's Moses talking to the children of Israel. Now look what he says. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Where was Jesus? In the wilderness. How long? 40 days. To humble you and to test you. Why did Jesus go? To be tested. To be tempted. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Verse 3. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger. What did they say about Jesus? He was hungry. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Very interesting that Satan, seeing this almost a deja vu, he saw the children of Israel being out there in the wilderness to be tested. He saw them hungry. He saw them there for 40 years. He kind of helped them get there to stay for 40 years. And here's Jesus now, 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's tempted. And now watch this. The enemy comes. And look what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. See, he knew the story. He knew the story. They're out there in the wilderness. They're hungry. So God worked a miracle. He's saying, okay, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, won't you just uh, work a miracle and make some bread here while you're hungry? It's, it's in the Bible. He's so subtle that way to use the, the word against us. 
close, but so very far away. Satan in his subtleties. And this is how Jesus responds. He quotes Deuteronomy. Look what he says. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is still the answer. This is still the answer. I'm not going to find my satisfaction in food. My satisfaction is found in the one who provides that food. And we know how south things went. You remember when Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with the, the, the five loaves and the two fish. Well, later on down the road, it says that the crowds were chasing him down. And he looks out again and he says, you're here for the bread, aren't you? He said, don't seek after stuff that perishes. Don't let this be the thing that you're desiring to satisfy you because it's here today and gone tomorrow. Set your affection on something greater, on the one who provides all of this for you. Because at the end of the day, it's what proceeds from the mouth of God that we live by. The fact that we're here is proof God spoke and here we are. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So many similarities between these two happenings and I just don't believe that it's an accident. It means this. So what does that mean? What's this parallel for? It means that God was preparing His people, right? Uh, preparing to deliver them. But now on this side, He's preparing His new Israel. As, as Paul said, who is a Jew except he who is circumcised of the heart? He's talking about spiritual Israel, those who put their faith in Jesus uh, from the bondage of sin and death and to bring us into the promised land. The promised land of what? Salvation, eternal life, every good thing that comes from God. So to do this, he brings a new Joshua. That's what Jesus' name was, you remember. He became Jesus through Greek transliteration, but everybody else in the Scriptures knew him as Joshua. They call him Yeshua, which is Joshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, Joshua the Messiah. Yeshua, Jesus, we call him Jesus. And now this new Joshua, the last Adam, stands as the head and representative of all people. On their behalf, he's led by God into the wilderness. He'd be 40 days to represent those 40 years. He was tested as Israel was tested. He was hungry as Israel was hungry. But if he triumphs where they failed, then he and all his people go safely into the promised land. And aren't you glad today that he triumphed? And now he leads you in triumph. And now the word of God says that all of God's promises are in him, yes, and in him, amen. He did it. Thank God, Jesus was at all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Thank you, Lord. It says the Spirit drove him. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Very interesting. All three times. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to him, oh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 5 of Matthew 4. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And now he's kind of 
Well, I'd say he's probably just straight up mocking Jesus. Because remember what Jesus said? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now watch what the devil does. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. What did the devil just quote? Psalm chapter 91. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Hey, devil, that's great that you know a verse here or a verse there. But what you need to understand, I am the walking word. I know the whole thing. All right? So you throwing one verse out here to manipulate and to pervert the scriptures ain't going to work with me because I know it all. So it's also said this, mm -hmm, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now look at this. Again, the devil took him up on, a, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. When I first read that, I thought, who does the devil think he is, thinks he's going to give Jesus something? All the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give this to you. He's talking to the one who created the world. Right? Now you would think Jesus would say, uh-uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But he didn't say that. He didn't say, you're a liar. This is mine. This ain't yours. No, Jesus didn't say that because he knew it was true. All the kingdoms of the world had been handed over to the devil when man gave it to him. God gave the kingdoms of the world to man in the beginning. He said, you, subdue the earth. Have dominion. You've got dominion over everything. And they just handed all that authority right over the devil. So the devil had the right. He was right in saying, all of this I will give you. It's all mine if you will fall down and worship me. Huh. The Scripture teaches us in John 12, it says, now the Jesus says this, now the judgment of this world, now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So he's calling the devil the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul teaches us, whose minds the God of this world or the God of this age has blinded, speaking of the devil, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So who is he the God of? Who is he the ruler of? Anyone who has not professed Jesus Christ as Lord. Anyone who has not believed the gospel for themselves. They are still under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. And so that, that even though the, the devil is dismantled, his work is completely um, undone, but still there are those who are influenced by him. And so anytime anyone is influenced by him or allow him work in their lives, then that gives him ability. It gives him a power to work. But you don't, he doesn't have that power over you because you're believers. Amen. You said Jesus is Lord. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I get a good Amen. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. It's very interesting that all three scriptures that Jesus quoted all came out of the book of Deuteronomy, and all of them the word of God. He did that so you and I can also do the same thing. He quoted the word. Of all the power that Jesus had, all the authority, all the ability he had, my family, he cracked open his Bible and quoted some scripture. Anybody 
can do that. The devil is no match for the authority of the Word of God, especially those who exercise it. He's powerless to do anything. He's powerless to do anything. And Jesus apparently believed in the power of the Scriptures to just quote them. Believe in the power of the Word. Believe in its authority. So that you don't settle for things in your life that are out of kelter, that are chaotic. Things are, things are outside of the plan and the purpose of God. Amen. Stand on the Word. Declare His Word. The enemy has to give in. He has to. I want to go to one last place. You guys are way too quiet on me tonight. Man. All right. That's all right. Luke chapter 22. I want to go back to this first thought before we, before we get out of here tonight. Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 39. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the, the, the olive press. The olive press is where a lot of olive trees were, the olive press. And, and, and the pressure from the sins of the world began to come down on him. God, at this point, is beginning to transfer all the sins of all mankind throughout all ages onto his son. And when you read these accounts, Luke, Matthew, and Mark, they go into detail about what Jesus was experiencing in this garden. It's It's horrific. It's horrific. How does Jesus even, how can he even rehearse for something like this? I mean, he's the resurrection and the life. But he said something most troubling. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He wasn't mincing words. Jesus felt death coming on him. And he was, and, and he was, in, he was greatly distressed. So much so that Dr. Luke, the physician, described it like this, that when Jesus had fallen to the ground, that his sweat became great drops of blood. And when you look at the Greek word for the great drops of blood, I mean, it's like this long. And, and it means blood clots were falling from his, from his body because the pressure began to fall on him. The pressure of sin, the pressure of separation from God, the pressure of death began to be weighed upon him. And his body literally began to crumble under the pressure. Capillaries bursting. And, and as, he's, as he's there, he senses that death coming upon him. And then Jesus says this most extraordinary thing. He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Now, it's been said and it's been taught and it's been believed that Jesus here is wrestling somehow with the will of God. That somehow he's, his will is to get out of this thing. It's too much. And, 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 and now he's saying, God, if, the, if there's a way to get out of this, uh, but, but ultimately he surrendered to God. And my family, that is absolute hogwash. This is where Jesus is identifying with humanity. 
They say all these kind of religious things. No, not my Jesus. He identified with me when he became a man. But he did not identify with me in that he ever was in contradiction or in contrast to the will of God. Never. Well, then what is he saying here? I'm glad you asked. John chapter 12, just prior to this event, Jesus asked this question. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But it's for this hour that I came. So he already had a resolve. He already had a resolution in this thing. Should I pray this? That's, that, that's a useless prayer. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But for this hour I came. And now he gets here and look what's happening. Looks like he's praying the prayer he wasn't supposed to pray. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening. Don't forget, he's dying. My family, he's minutes away from death. Minutes away from death. He knows it. When he senses that, when he feels that pressure and his body begins to break under the pressure, his thinking is, I guess I'm supposed to die here. This must be it. But I've got a cross to get to. I have a Roman beating to take for their healing. I have a cross to hang on to redeem them from the curse. But Father, if it's your will right here and right now that I die and not my will, but yours be, don't you ever forget. Don't ever forget. Jesus did not have Adam's nature. He had his father's nature. Why would we think that he was struggling with God's will? No, he didn't have that nature. He had his father's nature. He said, I do everything the father tells me to do. I don't do anything unless he tells me to. And that's why he's saying, not my will, but yours be done here. This is where it all ends, and your will be done. But he said, let this cup pass through me. And do you know what God did? Look at the next verse. Then an angel, an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. The angel came and said, come on, Jesus. You got a work to finish. Ministered to him. He got strong again and finished the work. This is our hero. He never wavered in his mission. He never wrestled with the will of God. This is Jesus, the hero, from start to finish. Praise God. And when he did it, he carried our sins far, far away from us. Thank God Almighty. Amen. And he was separated for a moment. He was separated. New separation like none of us will ever know. You remember that song? I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know. Thank God I'll never know it. He knew it, so you'll never have to know it. Woo! Amen. Aren't you grateful that you're forgiven tonight? Aren't you grateful for your Savior? Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're so good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you showed us a way. You showed us a way to overcome every temptation. Everything that the enemy tries to entice us with in this world. And to speak the word. The word is all we need. The word is what we need. Not more grit. 
Not more willpower. We need the Word. The Word is the power. The Word is the highest authority. Let me just say something to you tonight. I really feel the Lord's leading me in something right now. If you're here tonight, and that's how you've been facing this stuff. You've just been thinking, if I just was stronger, if I was just stronger, if I would just try harder. And the Lord is here to give you some news. Stop trying harder. And have faith in God. Let me be your strength and your weakness. Let me show you what I can do in your moment of weakness. Invite me there now. Let me show you what I can do. Get the Word of God in your mouth. It'll be the greatest thing that you'll ever do. And you will overcome every time. Every time. Every time I've put this to practice in my life, I've overcome. Not one time has it ever failed me. Every time. I'm not just telling you to do that because I'm a preacher. I'm telling you that because this preacher has lived it. I've experienced it. I've tried the, the grit dead out. I've tried the, oh, if I just wouldn't think about those things, or try to get something else in my head. That's, that stuff didn't ever set me free. When I decided to really, truly rest in Him, I'd say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. You've given me the supply of the Spirit. You've given me your word. You've given me your promises. So that's what I'm holding on to. I'm going to stop all the trying, stop all the sweating, stop all the work, stop, stop all of that stuff and fully rest on your power in my life. Amen. Tonight, tonight is your night where things change. Tonight, right now, that stuff is broken off of you in Jesus' name. And I declare a new understanding a new enlightenment, a, new, a revelation from God that will completely give you the turnaround, that will cause you to overcome, that will give you the victory time and time again. Amen. You're not a loser. You're not a loser. If you failed, so what? Failure is not, not the killer. Quitting is the killer. Everybody fails. So you failed. Get up and go again. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. Be, don't grow weary while you're doing good. The Scripture says there's a due season coming to you, and, and, and you will reap that due season if you don't lose heart, if you don't quit. Right. Amen. Amen. Would you just raise your hands with me and say this with me? Tonight, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to run this race with endurance. Because my eyes are on my Savior. They're not on my strength. They're not on my ability. My eyes are not on what I know. No, no, no. My eyes are on Him. Because He's the author and the finisher of my faith. What He starts, He finishes. And He's finished it for me. And He has started a work in me. And He's going to see it through. So my eyes are on Him. And as my eyes are on Him, whoo, my pace gets quicker. My stride gets longer. My run gets stronger in Him. In Him alone. And I declare tonight that as I wait upon Him, that He will renew my strength. 
that I will run and not grow weary. I will walk and not faint. I will mount up with wings like eagles. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. I love you guys so much. Thank you for being here tonight. Bless you on this evening. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.